We are, for the next three weeks, going to do something akin to what you must do when you are readying your children to play athletics or to go to school, or what you yourself should do, no matter your age, just go to the doctor once in a while anyway, right, to get a physical, to get an examination, to figure out how you're doing. And one of the things that we want to bring up and remind ourselves about as a church is what do we think health is as a church? How do we know if we're healthy? How will we be able to detect any kind of health in us? And one of the ways that we can do that is we look at what the Apostle Paul says here, merely joining his voice to a symphony of like voices throughout the scriptures that remind us that there is something exceedingly healthy and something fundamental about our raison d'etre, our reason for being, that involves being outside of ourselves and praising the one who made us. We will be talking over these next three weeks about these three components that form us as a community. We want to be a community, we believe, that has been breathed into existence by Jesus to be about worship, to be about nurture, and to be about witness. And we will talk about those three things, but today we're going to look at this, this idea of worship. John Piper has suggested in our present preoccupation with freedom, that people want to be liberated, they want to be free. He says it is not freedom for a fish to lie out in the sun. It is death. Because to know what freedom is, you have to know first what you are for. And the apostle is going to give us a lively sense of that as he is wont to do. And it's important to realize as he gives us this, as he gives us a sense of purpose and reminds us that we have been handpicked, not choice, but chosen, selected in this redemption project, this renovation scheme of God's so that we might exist for the praise of his glory and all these elegant heaped on phrases that he says all of this most likely while he is in prison under house arrest in Rome. I think it's incredibly valuable to think, when we're thinking about what it means to be a church that exists to depict the warmth and wonder of our Savior in our words and our deeds, by our worship and by our nurture and by our witness, to realize that we're called to be a community of adoring praise right in the middle of things that might make us not want to praise. In the middle of situations that might not seem so very praiseworthy. You're dropping your baby off at college this week. Some of you hate me now because you're not going to be able to think of anything else other than that. You're remembering her little shoes. Like, man, come on! If we can laugh about it, maybe we won't cry. The apostle then starts in the middle of this, the conditions in which we find ourselves. He Likely in prison, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints, the holy ones, those who have been called out from the world and have had the plastered pleasure of God on them 
the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he starts what our English translators have happily divided up into sentences. He starts one sentence that goes from verse 3 to verse 14. And you think, well, yeah, you do that all the time. But he makes William Faulkner feel like he writes the most economical sentences ever written. And this Greek sentence that goes from verse 3 to 14, just one heaping on a phrase after phrase, because Paul gets excited sometimes and over-talks. Praise be, he says, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace whom he has given us and the one that he loves. Paul is going to say four or five hundred times in these verses 3 to 14 that we exist for the praise of his glory, that these things have happened for the praise of his grace. All of these ways that are meant to help us esteem what God has done. And my guess is right off the bat that many of you, or at least some, when you hear these verses, you might not hear the, the resounding, repetitious call of praise. The only word you may have heard there was predestined. And that means you're a good reader. Nope, it means you're a terrible reader. If all you heard was predestined in that passage, that means you are not a good reader, but you can learn. We can learn. But I want to talk about that just for a second, because for the Apostle Paul, the doctrine of predestination, God's destiny carving in your life, his his fate shaping for your life, is a praiseworthy manner. And so anything that the Bible teaches that makes you nervous, but it doesn't make the Bible authors nervous, means that you need to correct your understanding. There are all kinds of things that the Bible teaches and people don't get keyed up about them, and then we read them, we get keyed up about them. That means we're misunderstanding something. The apostle thinks it's fantastic. And it's a praiseworthy event to realize that God has had a long standing aspiration to bring people like us who yell at our kids, who find it hard to give money away, who reluctantly pitch in to serve at the Hidden Hollow on Sunday at four because they want to obey their membership vows. Wait, what? He knows us, and he has decided before the creation of the world that we should be his, holy and blameless. And Paul thinks that is awesome. You know, one thing that is so magnificent about that is that if God was dreaming up this plan that was going to be worked out in real time, before anybody had ever even thought about a Toyota Prius or about a pair of Nike shoes or about succumbing to the sovereignty of Google, 
that he had thought this stuff up, it means that you can't mess it up. You can only lean into it. You get to relax into it. You get to operate under the banner of it. You can't screw it up. It's why Karl Barth, and this morning someone said, I thought Karl Marx was an atheist. And I said, well, that's because I didn't say Karl Marx. I said Karl Barth, spelled Karl Barth, B-A-R-T-H. So I'm going to make sure you understand I'm talking about Karl Barth, the theologian, not Karl Marx, the Marxist. Karl Barth was asked, when were you saved? And he said, around 34 A.D., when Christ was crucified on the cross. Is he right? In a manner of speaking, he is indeed. And Paul would say it even goes back before then. Because before time began, he knew, he wanted, he aspired to undo the ruin of the world by stepping into it and propping himself up against it. And so in a very real sense, the the comfort and the stability of the story you're in is something that doesn't have anything ultimately to do with what you think in your own head. That's really good news. It's something to believe. It's something to believe that something outside of you happened that was for you. Something outside of you happened that this Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid, this Christ who has every spiritual blessing for us in the heavenly realms, he is our life. And everything you could ever want. Do you want security? Do you want to know that you can never die? Do you want to know that no matter how bad you are, that you can be accepted? Do you want the promises that your phone gives to you, but that it can actually deliver? Sherry Turkle says the promises of the phone are that you can be wanted. You can always be heard. You never have to be bored. But Jesus in the heavenly realms, who is your life, with whom we are connected when we believe in him. He is your security. He is the one who hears you. He is the one who guarantees that death will not come to you. He is the one who gives you a purpose so that you shall not be bored, who can wake you up in the morning and sustain you through the day. And he happened outside of you. His was a life outside of yours. Your life is bound up in his accomplishment and not in your own. That's a praiseworthy event. And as you start to think about that, you can get fortified. You can get emboldened to praise the one who has made it so that there isn't so much pressure on your shoulders. You're responding to what has been done for you. And it wasn't done for you begrudgingly. The apostle says, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and his will. He was delighted to do it, and he wanted to do it. You've heard me say before, and everyone here who has been a parent, whether it's through a biological birth or an adoptive one, when you are awaiting, when we are awaiting our children to be born, there was in me a kind of yearning and a kind of giddiness and excitement that I could not stand. And I wasn't even pregnant, even though it looks like probably I still am. 
I was just so excited. I was so moved. I was so ready. I was so beside myself with giddiness that I almost I just wanted to kill it. I couldn't stand it. I thought it was going to kill me. And the Apostle Paul is suggesting that at the back of this destiny carving of God is this incredible giddiness for you, for all who would respond to him. When are going to be the moments that you arrive on the scene and respond back to the God who is giddy for you to come back? When you start to believe that's true, when you start to believe that he wants you, when you start to believe that your life is bound up in the life of another and you can't screw it up, you will be fortified by praise. You will give God lots of praise. And it'll make sense. And it'll strengthen you. This kind of praise demands then a kind of attention. Praise will fortify you. It also demands your attention. When the apostle says, praise be to God, he then says, for he chose us in him. He starts to give us a litany of reasons. He's, he's adopted us. He said, I want you to be my kids. And that thrills me. I want you who have done impolite things to have those impolitenesses washed away like a sidewalk that's been chalked up gets purged in the rain. I want you who have been so filled with shame over what's been done to you or what you yourself have done where you can't even meet the eyes of another. I want that shame to be covered and you to be the recipient of an adoration that will heal you. Freely, I want you to have this. But you have to think about it. You have to give attention to it. Or else it will pass you by. Yesterday, we sold our 1997 Ford Explorer Sorry Coveters. We drove that thing off the lot new in November 1996. And a guy we love named Eddie came to get it. And one of the things that was so thrilling to me, you're going to hear more about Eddie in just a minute. I love Eddie. And he has been endowed with all the gifts that God vigorously denied me. Like the ability to do anything practical and useful on the whole planet Earth. <laughs> Except throw a football a long ways. And so... But one of the things that was so stunning and charming to me is as these guys were doing their work, they were, they were getting our, our Ford Explorer that had been, that had been sitting there as a, as a home to a, a whole ecosystem of flying, swarming things, wasp nests and dirt daubers, all the bats that had been at John and Katie's house are now there. It's kind of a storage unit of sorts. It didn't run, but he was tugging it and pulling it, and he put the chain on it, and he had his work van, and he was tugging, and he had a helper. And as they were trying to turn around in my driveway, I loved it that Eddie said, hey, to his helper, don't run over them flowers. Like, Eddie, that's awesome. Mrs. Youngblood would not like it for anyone to run over those flowers. 
And I had no idea in a million years that Eddie ever even knew there were any flowers. And Kathy probably thinks that I don't know there are any flowers. But there are lots of flowers, and they're really pretty, and I think she probably lives in a certain amount of terror that indelicate males are going to decapitate them, either with baseball bats, feet, or cars. And Eddie stood back there guarding the flowers as his guy backed up, Stop! Don't let anybody run over the flowers. He was attentive to the flowers. They had work to do, and he was paying attention to our flowers. These delicate beauties. They were right there for everybody to see, but they're, they're not easy to notice when you're in the midst of doing all your stuff. The apostle is able to get in this state of praise because he is paying attention to the flowers of what God has done in his life, but he has to bring it back up to his mind. He has to rehearse it for us. It's what we do here. We rehearse this story in song, in scripture, in prayer, in preaching, in welcoming. We do it in the week when we meet as small groups together. We rehearse this story that we are in on, the true story of the world that nobody in the election has mentioned yet. Neither Donald Trump nor Hillary Clinton seem to know the first thing about this story. This story that began before time. This story that is going to end with the renovation of all things. And we have been swept up in it. The people who praise best pay attention most. They consider these things. They bring them back to mind. They stop and look at these flowers. And as a community of praise, we will give God, we will honor Him as those who live to the praise of His glory if we stop and pay attention to the flowers of Christ's work and what He means for us and also to the flowers that He pours out into your life in little stunning ways. Tiny little pleasures that come into your life when you've sat down and kicked back your dogs for the day and had yourself a cold Coca-Cola. C.S. Lewis has said, I try to turn all my pleasures into a channel of adoration. That my whole life I'm trying to figure out where does the beauty come from? Is there anything that you enjoy doing when you when you hear the crack of a baseball bat, because that's the most enchanting sound there is, and, or when you hear an elegant piece of music or the cooing of your baby or feel the soft of her skin, the satisfaction of repaired plumbing or a mowed lawn, when you find pleasure, to trace that pleasure back up the sunbeam, as it were, to the place from whence it came. We live in a place that is not the cataclysm of confusion and randomness. We live in a place that is orchestrated. No one believes that, but we do. The Apostle Paul does. That's why he wasn't snarky that much. He's sometimes snarky. That's why he can praise and that's why C.S. Lewis can say, I've noticed that cranks and misfits and malcontents praise least, and people who are humble praise the most. In fact, it seems that praise is inner health made audible. 
See, what happens is when you stop paying attention, when you stop paying attention to what God might be doing, you're stuck in your own head. And as Tony Robbins would tell us, you know Tony Robbins, the guy who has people walk across coals and like eat scorpions that are on fire and stuff to awaken the giant within. He would say, when you get in your head, you are dead. Or we could do it like a valley, you know, when you get in your head, you are dead. That sounds better than Tony Robbins' version, I think, but even though he has a compelling voice. And when you can get out of your head and start to notice what God is doing, start to believe in the middle of suffering that God is doing stuff that you don't even understand, you start to recognize that your life is bound up in this Christ and you can't undo that and you can't screw that up. You will get out of your head and you'll find yourself a humbler person a more relaxed person, a more praise-giving person. You'll praise others and God because you won't be so severe and critical. But we have a long way to go. That's why we are this embassy of Jesus that's learning to cultivate an attitude of praise where we pay attention. Praise demands that we pay attention. And praise also, praise also brings... Interruption, which is related to what I just said. See, the apostle knows that the second you stop to praise God, you stop praising Him, you're bound to praise something. The second your esteem moves from the Creator down to created things, then your thinking turns dark and your heart gets dingy. That's a paraphrase of Romans 1. Since they thought it unworthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, worshiping created things rather than the Creator, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And the Apostle here is praising God because he has recognized that we're the ones who have been acted upon, who were formerly allergic and that God has revealed this mystery. He's pulled back the curtain. He's worked out this magic, kind of like, now you see me. Where you're saying the whole time, how are they doing that? How do they do that? Oh my gosh, how do they do that? And that's what predestination is. That's what God's providence is, his choreography. How did he do it? How did he do it? How is he engineering the moments of my life to make it such that I have this interaction with his action? That makes me alive. It interrupts us, this praise. It interrupts us from the kind of snark that easily comes to us. And so if you find yourself today in the doldrums or in despair or in a generalized funk, which all of these are categories in the DSM-5, doldrums, despair, and generalized funk one of the things you can do is you can let the praise of God interrupt that stuff. Because I can promise you this, you will be a person who merely rolls your eyes at the world and yawns at it if God is not an active part in it. If you can't give praise, what you will do is be filled up with yourself and your own sort of at-bay criticisms of all that's ridiculous around you. And we do this so Easily, we don't even know we're doing it. That's what cynicism is. We stand on the sidelines and we poke fun and we laugh. 
On the internet, they call it being a troll, which is a good word for it. If you don't praise Christ, you will become a troll. You can mark that down. Tweet it. Live tweet. If you're live tweeting the sermon. If you don't praise Christ, you will become a troll. But you have a means to actually get outside of yourself. Which says, when I'm in the doldrums, when I am in despair, when I'm in a state of generalized funk, one of the things I can do is I can actually give myself to praise. I can jumpstart my heart. I can... Sometimes I'll do this. I'll do an alphabet praise thing, not because I'm holy, but because I need remedial instruction in praising God. You know the alphabet, right? I think A, and then uh, kids, what's after A? B, you got it. You're on a roll. Anybody else? C, thank you, Libby. A, B, C, you got it. Sometimes you got to work yourself into, what can I praise God for? What, what A can I praise God for? What B can I praise God? And just to remind myself that this was what I was made for. And when I sink down into myself and can't see any reason to praise, that only means that my soul has fallen asleep. It's become com- comatose. Comatose, that's the easiest word to say for me. And I need to praise myself out of it. I need to redirect myself to give attention to the flowers of God. What has he done for me? I need to call out to him as we do. I need worship together that we would sing. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? That the I don't think the psalmists are ever that worried when they say with high repetition and almost no stylistic variation in places like Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Everyone who drives a Toyota Tacoma, praise the Lord. All the baby goats in the field, praise the Lord. All the little geese who are flying ahead, praise the Lord. Everybody in a tree stand that's about to murder a deer, praise the Lord. He doesn't say, if you've got your motives worked out right and you mean it and you're sincere about it, praise the Lord. If you are fully unified in heart and mind and your mouth is totally connected to what your heart is feeling at the moment, then praise the Lord. No, he just says, praise the Lord, because that's what you do. It's like some of you have discovered when you're in a funk, if you get moving, that will help. Or as Tony Robbins does, if you plunge in a cold pool or you take like cryotherapy with Ted Williams in a 220 degree below zero tank, that will change you physiologically. Well, most of you don't have that, but we can start to praise whether we feel like it or not because we know that's what we're for. That's where we encounter health. And boy, oh boy, what a liberation and happiness it is when you are able to give attention to God and your attention gets divorced from yourself. Which is what God means to have happen when we have been adopted according to his pleasure In Jesus Christ. Our life is hidden in Him, not hidden in us. Praise demands attention and it brings interruption. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to bring you back to Eddie here. As Eddie took our car the other day, yesterday, It was interesting to me to watch because my perception of our this Ford Explorer that had been sitting in the driveway the last four years 
had a lot of miles. We used it a lot. We took our children home from the hospital in it. We lived a lot of life in that car. We loved that car. That's why we kept that car. But it got to where, while we were cleaning it out to get ready to, for it to leave, we were thinking we were probably going to catch a disease. We were certainly going to get stung by a variation of wasp, hornet, yellow jacket, and dirt dauber. It's possible that there were muskrats living in there. I don't know. No, no muskrats. But we, when Eddie said he would take it, I, in my mind, I thought, okay, well, how much do we have to give you? He offered to buy it. He bought it. He redeemed it. And what was so amazing to me is it, as it was driving off, and I was like, holy cow, I can't believe it. It's gone, finally. We never, we didn't know what, how this thing, was it just going to disintegrate one day? How would it get gone? And it was gone. I was relieved Eddie was giddy. He was giddy to get this old car that didn't run. It looked like it was staging some sort of scientific experiment. Eddie was excited. Because Eddie saw something in this old car. He had plans for this old car. He had hands for this old car. He knew that this was a redeemable situation. He envisioned driving this thing because that car was not made. It had four-wheel drive. That car was not made to be a storage unit. It was made for snow and ice and dirt and taking kids to soccer practice. In an SUV, you know, early stages. But Eddie saw something in that car, and he had the ability to do something about it. And he was positively giddy because he just got himself a great deal. And he was excited. The apostle suggests that we have, as we believe in God's giddiness over us, as we believe that God has looked at us and said, look, here's the requirement for being in my family. You just have to be dead. That's what Robert Farrar, Capon, Capone, you tell me, said. Our favorite antinomian around here. He said, you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be smart enough. You don't have to do anything. You just have to be dead because Jesus Christ came to bring life to the dead, to raise the dead. And we're the people who are being raised. And the apostle says, you know how you can be a community of praise? Realize that the one who raises you is the one who is giddy about the raising. He's excited about the redemption because he's paid to get something that nobody else would even want. But he's renovating this dilapidated, vandalized neighborhood of ourselves into what they're supposed to be. Your God has pleasure, has giddiness in redeeming you. And we're told as we believe this word of truth, we have the down payment called the Holy Spirit that says God is not going to stop. So before you could do anything to mess it up, He planned to work it out. And as you believe Him today, He gives you a part of Himself to live within you so that you can share in God's giddiness and know that no matter what happens, even if you're crawling to church, and crawling towards Jesus. 
He's not going to give up until the project is completely renewed. Enter into God's giddiness. Recognize that you're called to give praise to this God who is for you. Should you pay attention and let your life be interrupted by this praise, you will be fortified by it. And so will our community. Amen.